Today is May 6th, 2022, as I record this introduction, and today also happens to be the 10th episode, which feels worth highlighting to me. I made myself a big cup of coffee this morning with extra whipped cream and a sprinkle of cinnamon was as a, as a count your wins kind of treat. You may notice that my voice sounds a little deeper and scratchier than usual. Well, I have also been nursing myself back to health for about two weeks now from a nasty bug. While editing this podcast, I had one of those hindsight is 2020 awareness laughs, you know, when you realize why you thought you were off and why you were really off become crystal clear. I was not on my A game, but don't worry, my guest definitely was, and I am thrilled to share this honest, open, and enlightening conversation with you. I invited Eric on for several reasons. First of all, his videos and social media shares just bring me joy. It's that simple. And I wanted to talk to him about his family's journey to this point and how things are going now that his videos have really taken off. And secondly, he embodies what we in the unschooling circles talk about all the time. Trust the process. If you have watched any of his videos, you know what I mean. We talk about the importance of giving kids space for risky play, which not only builds their physical confidence, but also their emotional confidence and self-awareness. He explains his process for evaluating the various adventures they take, but he also discusses the role of micro-adventures for those who might not feel equipped or able to take bigger adventures right now. And last, but definitely not least, you know how much I love it when parents are conscious of their role and the relationships they are building with their kids. Well, Eric shows a balance of playfulness and supportiveness, but also that nudging encouragement that comes from a parent who is a leader and recognizes when kids have the ability to do a little more, but also respects when enough is enough. Talking to Eric makes me think of Richard Louv's wonderful book, Last Child in the Woods, Saving Our Kids from Nature Deficit Disorder. This quote is especially poignant and gives us some insight into why kids benefit from being in the great outdoors. The quote starts, Children with generous exposure to nature, those who learn to see the world directly, may be more likely to develop the psychological survival skills that will help them detect real danger, and they are therefore less likely to seek out phony danger later in life. Play in nature may instill instinctual confidence. End quote. I think you'll quickly see why I believe Eric and his wife embody that quote completely. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Eric Leadums, the digital creator of That Mountain Life. My name is Eric Leadums. I'm a digital content creator behind That Mountain Life, which is the handle I use to document and share my family's outdoor mountain lifestyle. And I make videos to inspire others to get outside and also spend time with their kids. Um, we have three amazing kids. Our oldest is going to turn nine this summer, and uh, his name's August. Our middle one turns seven next month, and our little one turned four last month. Um, so two boys, and our youngest is, is our daughter, Adia, so she's four. And Luca is uh, our middle one. So August, Luca, and Adia. And we live in Fernie, British Columbia, which is a uh, town of about 5,000 people in the interior of BC. It's right above uh, Missoula, Montana, about due north, kind of close to Glacier National Park in northern Montana. And uh, it's a really beautiful town. And 
I knew from the start um, that when we actually, our story about how we started our family was unplanned and the universe kind of made it happen for us. We weren't expecting <laughs> to, to become parents, but right away, I just knew that this was going to be a great place to raise a family. And yeah, I started documenting and creating content three and a half years ago, November of 2018. And I started on YouTube. I didn't get uh, Instagram until about three years ago. And I started it, I started documenting our adventures because I wanted to learn a new skill. I wanted, I just wanted to be productive. That sort of that side hustle culture. I mean, I'm, I'm not like rah, 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 go, go till you break. But I also, I just, I, I didn't, didn't feel right spending all my evenings watching Netflix and, and videos or just scrolling. Like I, I wanted mm -hmm. to be a bit more productive. <laughs> and so I watched some tutorials online and I, and it started with me just doing a season edit sort of in April, the end of the year, I would film my August when he was two. I'm just with my shaky, terrible knockoff GoPro camera or my phone. The footage is terrible. <laughs> and we just put, put, put a song to it. And then I did it again the next year for him. And then when Adia, when Luca was uh, two, I did one for him. And it wasn't until I think August was five. Yeah, because uh, he's eight now. So he was five years old. And I just said, hey, I'm going to actually make a YouTube channel and make a go of this. But the reasons were to learn a new skill, to learn something new, uh, to, to capture memories uh, that you know could live on and, and document for, for me and my family and my wife and I. And um, you know that, that was the second reason. And then the third reason was with the potential of it leading to something that we could that I could do as a job mm. um, with no promise or guarantee that that was going to be an outcome. And uh, here I am uh, three and a half years later with uh, 880,000 followers across our three, like across my three main social platforms. So Instagram, TikTok and YouTube. And uh, it's been a trip. So we've had a big following for the over a year now. And I'm just learning how to be a full-time digital creator and influencer, which is still a bit weird for me to say out loud. I bet. Well, and I love your story. And I have enjoyed your videos for a quite some time now. Because of that exact reason, you know, it's not something you set out to do necessarily as a job. You didn't know where this path was going to take you, but here you are. And it marries so beautifully with what I believe is true about humans and learning, which is that once you're passionate about something, once you are curious, then that is the ticket to learn. Yes, absolutely. You know, with the ideas that you just created came came to you and you want to document your family, you wanted to share um, learn a skill and then you shared it with others and then you've inspired people. You've brought joy to people. I'm speaking for myself for sure. Um, I, just seeing you with your kids is very pleasing to me to see you as a dad working with your children and being as gentle as you are with them, but yet at the same time, showing them that they have the strength to get up and try again and, you know, keep going at it and, and showing that perseverance. So, how do you feel like that sort of has evolved for you as a parent? Like, was this kind of how you were when you were a kid? Was it, you know, were you an adventurous soul and did you seek out activities to take you outside or were you sort of not like, like that and then more intentional as you became a dad? I was raised as a pretty, I would say a pretty like standard middle-class, small town media. I mean, town of 20,000 people in Ontario, 
my folks were, you know, my dad owned a camera shop and then he switched over to become an accountant and um, lived in a in cottage country. So a bit of a tourist town. And I, I went to elementary school and I played baseball and basketball and, you know, went to summer camp and lived in a very beautiful area in the Canadian, the Canadian shield, uh, you know, beautiful fall colors and lots of forests and lakes and uh, grew up swimming on beaches and canoeing. Um, but I didn't really get into the uh, into outdoor stuff until I was a teenager, uh, a bit older, and I actually started working at a summer camp. And this took me. This was my foot, my my footsteps into the realm of outdoor education. And the outdoor education scene is full of growth oriented mindsets, um, interpersonal skill development, uh, communication, self awareness, and just sort of just sort of increased my conscious. You know, I was sort of already a bit of naturally a seeker like maybe on a spiritual level like always a bit of a a, a searcher and a seeker um definitely after i was 17 years old so i was in high school i was on, i was a straight a student i was captain of the sports teams of basketball and volleyball but i read a book called ishmael by daniel quinn and i almost dropped out of high school wow um so it's, it was kind of like a chris mccandless moment uh, into the wild yeah. the kid who ran up go went up north and died in a bus right um i was pretty like pretty disenfranchised and angry at the man mm-hmm. after that book. <laughs> I, I just sort of the American dream or the Canadian dream and society and working, you know, getting a job, working, retiring and dying was, was the path I was on. And I was probably going to play that game pretty well um, because school came easy to me and I got a lot, a fair bit of external validation for being, you know, getting good grades and being good at sports and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. But I just sort of rejected it and let it go. And, and I, I, ended up, I ended up working. I decided that what was important was to work jobs I loved doing. So I became a whitewater raft guide. I became a canoe guide. I wanted to become a ski patroller. And, and these were ideas that were put in my head already. Like as, as a 16-year-old, I played basketball, but I still skied at our local little tiny hill in Ontario. And I, th- I knew that it was possible to have a job as a ski patroller like throwing bombs and skiing powder and helping people on a mountain it just seemed like a dream job and I've done it for the last 14 winters still Mm. um and so all of that my my outdoor education journey and and desire to just be conscious about my happiness and what I was doing for a job I think is what initially set the foundation for me to be conscious and aware of how I was how I'm going to show up as a parent Mm -hmm. okay Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, and taking that mindset of happiness as your almost a motto, like I, if I'm going to spend energy somewhere, I might as well be happy doing it. How I love how that has become a template, if you will, for how you went to the next step and then using that with your children. Because I, I think with when we all probably in some part of our lives fall into the trap of if I just stay on this path and I'll be secure and safe and everything will go the way it needs to go. That's not always the case. And so Mm -hmm. the fact that you found it as early as you did, you know, is a testament, I think, too, to kind of who you are as a person that you're willing to take a risk based on the ideas that you want to pursue. So even though you May, I mean, was there a part of you that felt a little bit like I'm going to get some backlash from my family or my friends or my community if I do take a different path or a, a, an alternative route? 
Yeah, I mean, I was, I think when I was like in grade 12, I sang a Goldfinger song and, you know, dropped a, dropped an F-bomb <laughs> in a song at a school and got like suspended. And so I was going down the like, almost like I, I, I had a rebellious couple years where I just was like, I was just kind of angry and a bit distraught mm. at, uh, at becoming aware of all of the, the, I guess the shadow side of capitalism, the, 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 the all the, the, the yeah the broken promises or the smoke screens and illusions of how great life is and you know even the sustainability stuff and so i i had a i i just i guess i i assumed the identity of almost like wanting to even go down the activist route and and cause a ruckus and actually like do civil disobedience and and you know it was starting it was reading monkey monkey um edward abbey and the monkey wrench gang and uh all sorts of just sort of I don't know, like politically, environmentally type activist type philosophy. And um, so I, I sort of like gave myself permission to live my own path and do it unapologetically. Mm -hmm. And it, but it, it was initially rooted in like a anger instead of love. Yeah. Well, and that's a great <laughs> distinction to make, right? Because there are, it's very easy to become angry and frustrated and disenfranchised when you are able to peel back the layers of what mm. the reality is for so much of what's going on in the world. And then when you are able to say, I would like to make a change, but I'm going to do it from this place and from this lens, then it does have a better, I think at least it does have a, a better outcome and it has a, a lasting outcome and it reverberates differently. And I think totally. people see it and they, might not necessarily know how to describe it, but when, when it's coming from a place of joy and, and, and good intentions and wanting to make things better, it, I think people buy into it a little bit more. So when it comes to your, your social media, how has that happened and evolved since you started learning how to edit videos? And then, so how, what does that look like over the last few years? And especially how you've gotten to the point you are now where it has turned into, is it a full-time job now, or is it still more of a side thing and, and has benefits and perks to it? I'd say this month or next month is my first, these first months where I'm, I'm no longer an employee having a source of income coming from employment. So I'm, I now consider myself a full-time freelance creator. Wow. Right. Um, and it's, it's, it's scary in some regards, you know, but at the same time, I, I have, I have some, I have, a, I have some uh, investments from Bitcoin and cryptocurrency, which was something I got into as a personal finance enthusiast a couple of years ago that have done well for me. Mm -hmm. and so I have a bit of a, a bit of a, a backup to, to go and try to build something with this brand. Now this, this family brand that's on social media mm -hmm. and um, I'm learning a lot and, you know, have, just recently had some struggles and just felt frustration and a bit of overwhelm with like how much there is to do on, on the back end of, of the business. Like basically you, you got it. I'm at the stage now where I want to create a professional pitch. I mean, I mean, I have a pitch deck, but you, you need like, I need brand guidelines and a pitch deck and you have these documents so that when you approach a company or a tourism resort destination and you want to, um, you know, uh, send in a proposal, you want to be professional. Mm -hmm. And so I, I really am seeing this like a business now. Um, uh, February 1st of last winter ski, ski season is when our content, uh, 
that's my main niche content is is skiing with the kiddos and Adia's mic up content last winter is what made us go viral. Mm. Um, which, you know, she was a comfortable, confident two, two and three quarter. Like she was a big two year old, uh, hadn't quite turned three yet. I put a mic on her and because she was able to ski and weave through the trees and we went so often, she, she was comfortable and then she would babble and talk and it was cute. <laughs> And that winter, we had 3,000 followers on Instagram on February 1st. I just remember trying to have like fairly arbitrary monthly goals or just mm-hmm. trying to grow consistently. And I was noticing like, oh, it grew from, grew from you know, 1,600 to 3,000 so far this winter. That's pretty good. But then then six to eight weeks later, I had like 125,000 followers. Oh, my gosh. And that's, that's called or- organic growth because I didn't pay any to boost any posts or anything like that. Mm-hmm. And so that's the definition of going viral. And it doesn't happen to most people in that way to, to end up with a decent sized following and audience. Yeah. Um, and it, and it's, it's an interesting spot to be in. It's, it's fun. I, I, I think my favorite part about it is actually interacting with the meaningful comments and DMS. I, I get a lot of DMS every week and anyone that leaves a heart filled one, I reply with a voice message usually and, and interact with people. And a lot of them are surprised that I respond. And, Mm -hmm. um, that's a, that's a fun way for me to, it's just a fun aspect of, of the job and something I really, I do like engaging with my followers. Mm -hmm. Well, and how do your kids deal, deal with everything? They seem like they're having a blast and it's really fun to watch it from my perspective, especially from somebody who's not a skier. Now I've played on slopes before and I've had skis on my feet, but it is Mm -hmm. just not me. I feel like, you know, I have two left feet on skis. Um, But I watch your kids and see them interacting even with each other. And then they're, they just seem completely in their element. Totally. So how, so how are they? Do they have ideas that they talk, talk to you about what they want to record? Do do you You have times when they're thinking, no, I don't want to be on, on video. Yeah. It's, they they're obviously they're very accustomed to it the camera is is out when we're skiing pretty much every run um the odd run i put it away but they know that daddy makes video like it basically i we frame it as daddy makes videos Mm -hmm. um it's it's a job now and it it gives us it gives daddy an opportunity to work flexible hours and do activities i we, we get to do activities as a family um, is kind of the, the, the cool perk about it. And some of the opportunities and trips and, 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 you know, getting paid to go to these places, not just getting them comped, but it's actually, you know, I can charge a fee for my services to make the content. And so it's, it's providing a lifestyle and opportunities for our family to kind of travel and really experience the world that I, that otherwise we wouldn't have been able to afford. Mm-hmm. Um, and we don't talk about numbers and followers and likes with the kids. Like they don't know, like I, I, I used to joke and say the term viral for them is like related to a pandemic and COVID yeah. <laughs> not doesn't, they don't, they don't really know what it means to be viral. They know that daddy makes videos and lots of people watch them because they've had interactions with people on the Hill that are like, Oh, I see your video. Like they know that that's happening, but I just don't think they have any context of any other reality. Like. Mm-hmm. That they, makes they sense. They don't. Yeah. They don't live another life, and so they're just sort of like for them, this is normal. Mm-hmm. Well, and I did see that you um, you ran into some people recently. Yeah, the uh, uh, two people from uh, Philly and New York, and they had just gotten to our local mountain here in Fernie, and they clicked into these uh, rent. One of them was renting skis. It was his first time 
you know, a, a city slicker from Philly, like first time wow. on skis and, and <laughs> he's being taught how to ski. And they, they chose to come to Fernie because of, uh, because of our Instagram. Oh, that's so, and, that's so neat. And they love watching Adia and they said they just loved how, how, uh, un, how not busy the ski hills looked. And they just said, Hey, that's a, that's a place we should go do a ski vacation holiday. And we were the first people they met on the slopes. No way. Yeah. How about that? Well, yeah. and, and, I think, you know, that guy makes a great point. You don't want to get on too busy of a hill when you're, it's your first time. You, <laughs> you need a little space yeah. and some elbow room. Totally. How does your wife fit into this? So uh, did you meet where you are living now? And then was she very out adventurous in the same way? And I mean, I see her on the slopes right alongside the kids. Mama Bear, Mama Bear is awesome. Her <laughs> name's Courtney. Um, she's an incredible human being and um, really awesome. A great mom um, great partner. And, um, she, we met in Fernie in the same town, my first winter here. Um, I, I was new to town. I had just gotten out of a, a, a fair, like a two year long relationship and wasn't, wasn't interested in jumping in at anything right away. We, we got along, we really enjoyed each other's company. We skied together a lot. We, you could call it a, had a bit of a winter fling. And then the summer that following summer, I took off to go do what I did. I was quite, uh, quite free spirited and would hitchhike around and go to, um, uh, canoeing and rafting contracts. I actually went down to Utah to work for Knowles, the national outdoor leadership school in the U S. Okay. Um, which, uh, yeah, was a goal of mine to start working for them. And, uh, and then we, we reconvened that fall, um, cause she was a teacher by trade and was sort of getting fed up and felt, uh, something alive in her that she wanted to do outdoor education or an outdoor school of some kind. Mm-hmm. And she and I had an outdoor education background at this point. And um, she ended up coming out to work for a company called Alive Outdoors in, in Ontario, which does uh, outdoor programming for private schools from Toronto, our big our big city center up there in, in Ontario. And um, anyways, we met there again. Um, that's when August was made by accident. Um, <laughs> she was she was under the impression she couldn't get pregnant, which is not was not the case. Um, and, uh, we hitchhiked back across Canada together while she was pregnant and didn't know it. And then the, the following with that, that second winter, then, um, we found out she was pregnant. Um, I moved in with her and we kind of navigated that sort of rocky start, if you will, because it wasn't like, Hey, you know, let's do this together consciously as a plan. Mm-hmm. I, you know, it just, just unfolded in a messy way. Um, but, uh, Courtney is, uh, a follow her heart kind of gal like I was. I think energetically, um, we are very. I mean, we have our differences, but I think we're on, we're we're rocking to a similar vibe, mm-hmm. right? We and that's and and that makes sense, right? Like that that's how we ended up having August, and here and here we are, like nine, ten years later. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, when, and I love that she has an appreciation for it too, and the kids get to see their parents having fun together. Mm-hmm. Because that's such an important piece of a family dynamic, I think, is that our children get to see the parents not forgetting what fun looks like, you know. And yeah, and I, I, I want your, I want, I want anyone listening to this to to just take note that, or or, or to make, to be sure to know that. I mean, as social media influencers, and we're putting out all this content, I, uh, you know, we 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 have our we have our regular relationship human struggles mm-hmm. and. 
Um, <laughs> the journey, the journey has not been without road bumps and hardships and frustration and fatigue. Oh, the fatigue, right. Of young kids and, um, you know, learning to communicate and express each other's needs and desires and wants and, and to just be in that partnership. Like it's something, it's something that I'm, I'm become, I'm, I'm actively working on every day, right. To just mm-hmm. show, to be a, to be a partner. And, uh, um, you know, in the early years, I was too cheap. I had I had limiting beliefs around money and certain things. I was pretty frugal and just didn't pay for that babysitter for date nights or date days. We wanted date days to go do things, but we had these kids and we didn't make that much money. And, you know, we, we wanted to, because we, we chose that. We, we wanted to have time off to spend time with our kids and raise our kids, but we also wanted breaks and Courtney needed more breaks than, you know, I was really ever supportive enough to give her um, from a from a, a couple standpoint, like I would always be willing to take over and give her breaks as a mom. But it just sort of came at a sacrifice for like her and I not cultivating our relationship more in those early years, right? Yeah, yeah. So well, and, you're, and I mean, you're, you're bringing up great points, because most of the people who will be listening to this are probably parents of young children. And many of them will be parents who have chosen to homeschool as well. And mm. that brings along with it a whole set of different challenges that families will face when they have young children. At least when you have parents, if they're working and then the kids are going to school, there's an automatic break that's put into the family situation and system. But if they're deciding one parent to stay home and the kids to also stay home and homeschool, then it just, it it is a, it's a different um, system to navigate. So it makes sense to, be aware of that and recognize what people's um, expectations are and also what their personalities are and maybe what what you do need to build into the week to be sure that everybody's getting their needs met. Totally. So speaking of that, you all do homeschool. Yeah, we, I guess okay. Addie is not quite school age. And so the older boys um, are, uh, we, we unschool. Yeah, we are, okay. we are, we aren't doing much. Um in terms. Yes, you are. Yes, we're, you are. You're doing. We're time. doing. We're doing a ton. <laughs> we're not doing much in the traditional formal uh, formal route. Exactly. So your wife is. You said she has a teaching background. Yeah, she's a teacher by trade. Yeah. Okay. So what what grade did she teach, or what age was she? She was with? elementary school and was. Uh, I think her like drama, art, and music was kind of her favorite jam. And I yeah, I don't know if she ever had a. She was a substitute teacher by choice so that she had more time off and could play in the mountains and then dabbled with a with an art type uh, full time contract for one year. But it was killing her inside. And and uh, she didn't mm. she knew uh, after moving to the mountains and becoming a teacher inside, especially that year after full time teaching inside, she just said, like, the kids don't the kids aren't thriving in here. I don't want to be in here. Yeah. Right. Well, and and she's not alone. There's so many people I have spoken to who were teachers and they are now homeschooling their kids. And a lot of it is because they do see what's going on inside. And it's not that they don't want to be with children. It's just they don't want to be in that system and to not support it or to 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 be there and and be with the kids. You're supporting a system that you just generally do not agree Mm with. Um, So for you all living where you are, you had the option of choosing to go to school, but was it the choice to homeschool first and then continue the outdoor sort of experiences or was it sort of, it kind of just merged all together just seamlessly? Well, going back to my, um, 
my revolting years and, uh, you know, becoming critical of our mainstream society and system. I think schooling plays a big role in that. And I, I'm not sure if you're familiar with, you know, Ken Robertson's uh, TED Talk. Oh, yeah. You know, on the on yes. the industrial, the, the critique of the industrial schooling model. And I mean, I was like 20 years old, 21 years old. You know, I guess I didn't know I was going to have kids five years later. But um, and my sister has a teaching degree and then uh, ended up working for a school called self-design in British Columbia. And she was a resource for me in my early 20s to discuss and and she, she shared literature with me. And I I just kind of, and then Courtney, with Courtney's, it wasn't even really much of a hard decision. It just sort of was us. It was mm-hmm. like, well, we, we love our kids and want to spend time with them. And I don't really want to ship them off to school when they're, when they're little. Like, Right now, we're currently talking for August. Like, we're not going to send them to a regular elementary school right now or middle school. But in the next year or two, we might experiment with um, some form of of schooling. So we're not we're not fixed hard 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 nose. But from those early years, um, I know Courtney is pretty passionate about not not rushing them off to be raised by somebody else in in that in mm-hmm. that environment. So um, I think there are benefits to. School school, um, as far mm-hmm. as being a member of a community and, and, and doing that, I mean, with, I, I'm aware of the, aware of the, um, peer pressure and some, and the, often the lack of, of guidance to navigate social situations in the hallways or the schoolyards. And, and, um, it's, it's, it's I, I, yeah, I'm kind of caught between, I'm not, I don't lose sleep over it, but there's just, just these, just these two worlds of like, I want my kids to be amazing, confident, loving, um, well-adjusted, well-rounded people. And I want them to be able to participate in society, um, and be in culture, like be almost, I want them to just be able to, to fit in, but then also be comfortable to be who they are. Mm-hmm. We'll have the confidence that you've been able to instill in them by having them closer to home yes. and being within your tight community. Yeah. They've, yeah, they've been able to practice those skills in the safety net of a family that really has their best intentions at heart. Yeah. And, and so, yeah. So then when they have that and they have their solid foundation, they are able to then more comfortably navigate the different environments that they may come into contact with. Yeah. And we're, so we, we, we unschool and then, you know, our oldest, our oldest does more programs. We don't, we're not, we don't want to overschedule and overprogram. We're big on free play and unstructured time and slow mornings. And just that, that beautiful rhythm that a homeschooling, a family can, can find. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we value that. And then I also value, you know, him, them being in a ski program. So, you know, August is in a freestyle program on weekends. So we, has a coach and six or seven other boys and they're out there as a team, as a group participating in something, being kind of pushed and nudged in that environment through uh, other kids trying and, and being coached. And and that's, that's uh, again, like a certain amount of conformity that I'm okay with. And so he does basketball and tennis and swimming lessons. And we kind of, I actually don't mind introducing, I value, I don't, I don't like specializing on one sport when kids are like under 13. I think, you know, doing a sport for five months in the winter is great, but then doing six other sports and activities to to introduce them to a wide variety of extracurriculars, 
um, that's one thing we're doing as well. So, and not mm-hmm. when they're four or five brushing them off right away, but at age, right. <laughs> at age like seven, eight, nine, they're a bit older. They can start doing two or three things a week, especially because they're not going to school six hours a day. Yes. We do value having them go burn a little bit of steam at parkour, which is like g- urban gymnastics. And, mm-hmm. you know, and, and so we sign them up for the things that are, that they're going to like. And sometimes they have a hard time going at first, but we, I, I'm a big fan of the nudge. The, mm-hmm. I call it the nudge. I don't want to push my kids. If my kid says I can't swim, I'm not going to be that dad that throws them off the deck and yeah. off the dock and says, figure it out. But I am going to nudge them on the right days at the right time to, to, for them to know they're at the edge of their comfort zone, but I'm there for them. And so I call it the nudge. Mm-hmm. I like that. Well, and it's an important piece to keep in the forefront when you are um, raising multiple children, because as much as we want to support our kids and have things be child-led, at least from my perspective and my experience over the last you know 12 to 13 years, there's a difference between child-led as in the kid sees an interest and they want to pursue it versus letting the child lead everything, Mm. you know? And I think sometimes that gets a little muddy or people aren't quite clear about what exactly child-led means. You know, kids are born into a family system in order to be supported by the elders. And, um, you know, sometimes that little push or a little nudge, like you said, is giving is letting them know that you trust that they're capable of doing it. Yeah. But if obviously if there's some serious backlash, then I, I imagine you would retool and kind of reconsider and and maybe get under the layers a little bit more and see if there's something else that's going on that you possibly didn't see before. Yeah. Um, so are, so what are your other kids' interests that, um, outside of the skiing that that you share on your social media? Yeah, well, we, we live in a neighborhood here with uh, a soccer, you know, a, a French school around the corner that has a soccer field. And so, I mean, COVID put a wrench. It's been really interesting because the last two years, we've been not so extracurricular heavy because of the world's weirdness. And mm-hmm. I mean, last spring, things opened up a bit, but it was like soccer in circles and kids had to stay in their circle. We were just like, no, thank you. Yeah. Um, so, um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, yeah, tennis, basketball, August is really into the ball sport. So basketball and, and they do hockey. Courtney's a hockey player. She plays on a women's team here in town, like just a fun, fun local rec team. Oh, that's um, super cool. And they just play once a week and that's a, you know, a Canadian pastime. And so Courtney really values that our kids are going to be able to play pond hockey or we call it chinny. Like if you just play pickup hockey at your local rink anywhere in mm. Canada. So our kids aren't going to become NHL hockey players and we're not putting them in, uh, you know, for example, she started this last winter, a one once a week fun hockey for seven to nine year olds. And August did that instead of doing the two times a week plus weekend games because we want to ski, but we still really like that that August gets to go and do hockey once a week. Mm-hmm. And that sort of like home rec league type, there was 23 kids that signed up for that one night a week thing. <gasps> and that's 23 kids in our town that wouldn't have played hockey that year. That's amazing. It's really cool because it's just the it's about creating the the right tempo of activities consciously that we want for our kids. Like mm-hmm. a little bit of activities here and there, not over scheduling them and valuing like I I like I like taste testing and taking a little bit from everything. I'm a bit of a mud we're a bit of 
we're a bit, we're, we're muddles. We're, we just sort of mix it up. Uh, free mm-hmm. child, like a buffet. child-led slow mornings and, hey, what do you want to do? Or, hey, daddy's going to work, so you guys are going to be bored for an hour and being bored's great. Oh, you're only bored for 10 minutes and you figured out what else to do for the next 50? That's great. Like, mm-hmm. you know, and, and so I feel like I really just like the, the way we're doing it. And I, Courtney and I constantly reflect. I call it, I call it reflective parenting, uh, what, what, what we do. Um, in that I just want to reflect on if we're meeting our kids' needs and how they're doing. Because I feel like at this age, this stage in our life, every six months, our kids change. Like you can almost, oh, pay, yes. you can almost notice. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, well, you know, my six-year-old in the spring is a lot different from my six-year-old in the fall. Because mm-hmm. half a trip around the sun is, is he's only done 12 half trips, right? So it's one twelfth of his life or whatever. And yeah. so, you know, we're just, you're just sort of like, okay, what does this child need? What is, oh, it looks like he needs more stimulation or he needs more one-on-one time right now. Or, you know, how can we connect with her more right now? I mean, at, to be honest, Addy is our easiest. I mean, it's, it's interesting how kids um, present different levels of challenge for sure. So, mm-hmm. well, and she's your third too. She's so she's third. got two, two brothers to watch and keep up with and, and yeah. um, see yeah. as almost as role models for her. Totally. Yeah. Well, and I love that you talk about your wife's interest and that she had something she wanted to present and offer to the community because I have found over the years, it is all about that um, finding those special interests that your kids have and then, and then offering it to the community because people will come, you know, it's like you, you create it and they will come. And there's also the beauty in having something that's just for fun. It doesn't have to have like a, Mm -hmm. you know, an intensity to it. That's Mm -hmm. all about the competition and and the grind and constant play, 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 play to the point where now you don't want to play anymore Yeah, because it's almost like the adults have taken the fun out of it because they've created it to be so competitive. Yeah. Um, And one, one thing I should have mentioned that Courtney did start in our town, just that you said, talk about creating it and they will come is she started a forest school um, called outdoor connections. And, this is for ages three to five. The three to five-year-olds do half days on Tuesdays and Thursdays, a morning or an afternoon class. And the five to seven-year-olds, six, six, seven-year-olds are doing a Wednesday full day. So it runs three days a week and she's the executive director. And um, it's been running for about seven years now. And she started it and built it because there was nothing like that mm-hmm. for preschool age kids, for our kids, when we wanted them to go to some kind of outdoor school. That's awesome. So is she, does she have um, a space that's in the community that she's able to rent out or? So about 10 minutes out of town uh, in the mountains, there's a place that's a bed and breakfast called uh, Birch Meadows and they've donated the land and we have a yurt and a deck that we built the yurt on. And there's a beautiful meadows, there's deers, there's, there's um, elk, there's bears, there's cougars. Um, We don't see cougars often. Uh, They have dogs and they use, (laughs) They used to do dog sledding out there. And, uh, you know, it's a place where people come and uh, used to do weddings. People, fly fishermen, fly fly fishing people camp there in the summertime. And it, it's just a beautiful space. There's 64 acres. And it's it's the definition. Like Courtney is uh, forest school trained here in Canada. The I'm not quite sure the name of the organization, but uh, the governing body in Canada. It's a loose organization that's trying to they're the they're the ones that are you know standardizing kind of the education for educators to be for school practitioners and to sort of basically train a lot of teachers to let go and step back okay <laughs> to to empower kids to there's there's 12 principles of the for school philosophy i can't list them all off but a lot of them are 
similar to how we homeschool and unschool our kids. So valuing risky play, um, outdoor play in a, in, a, in a consistent environment. So you get to build a connection to the land through all four seasons. Um, you know, problem solving and communicating that with your peers, uh, independence, opening up your lunch container. Like, you know, the parents are encouraged to send containers that kids can open and close on their own and, and all those things to set them up for success. Gosh, that sounds amazing. Oh, they're so idyllic. Like it makes me want to go back in time and move up there <laughs> and have that for my children it's because a, it's a great we, you know, and Oh gosh. Yeah. I can just, I mean, I'm visualizing it as you were speaking and I just, oh, it sounds so, so perfect. Um, what, what wonderful experiences your kids are having and you guys too, you know, I mean, you've created a, a beautiful life where you're able to really enjoy each other. And I love what you said too about reflective parenting, because that is the reality, isn't it? That if it's not like you have your children and you know who they are after the first couple of years, and then it's just done, yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, they're constantly changing and evolving and you are too. And then depending on the environments that you're in and, and then once you think you might know them at four or five, and then all of a sudden, and I will tell you, I'll just give you a little a preview of the future that, you know, then they become 14 or 15 and their personalities might flip. Yeah. You know, the one you thought was going to be super outgoing and the life of the party and, you know, bringing everybody together might actually become a little bit more quiet and more introspective and a little, you know, maybe I'll sit back here and just observe the setting. Interesting. So, yeah, yeah it's, um, it's been, it's, it's a neat way to keep um, your awareness in the forefront about the fact that your family is always going to evolve and change or your kids, especially. Um, I was going to ask you about, well, first of all, you had said on your Instagram, one of your, in your bio, you say, don't bubble wrap your kids. Mm. And of course we've talked a lot about how you've sought out adventure and why that is important to you. And I know there's plenty of evidence that has pointed to the fact that if we give our children the opportunities, they will prove us, um, they, they will prove over and over again that they're capable. And so have you noticed, like, especially when you started early on, did you notice that with your kids? Like, was there a part of you that felt a little nervous for them? Or were you mostly like, I know that they can do this? Yeah, I think, I think a core value or lens or energetic state that I operate that we operate from is, is like a trust in that everything's going to work out. Mm -hmm. And so that place is, is a very peaceful place to operate from. It's a, it's a, it's a, I feel like it's a very powerful place to project from, um, you know, that everything, and, and I mean, a really good metaphor is, is the, the kid learning the, the baby learning to walk, you know, that 10 month old, that 14 month old, that's wherever they are. It doesn't matter how early or when they walk, but it's like, you think about, them falling down on their butt. And then of course there's certain objective hazards that are hazardous to them at that age. But by once they, once they're big toddlers, there's self-preservation is wired into, I, I remember hearing a story about, you know, some anthropologists went to a indigenous tribe in Papua New Guinea or somewhere in the fringes of society. And there was a you know four year old standing on the edge of a big hole that or a little bit of a mm -hmm. cliff, and the, the the scientists and researchers were like anxious that this kid mm -hmm. was standing on the edge of this hole, and all the elders and adults and parents of this kid were like, "What's the big deal? Why are you so worked up? Like he's not just gonna throw himself off there." 
Yeah. <laughs> and, and it's, yeah. And, and so the, the risky play thing, I truly believe that if you don't expose kids to risk, to risky things, they don't become proficient at managing risk. Right. And I also believe that they end up with more anxiety, doubt, and, and just a lack of, of confidence or skill sets of what to do when faced with adversity or feeling nerves. And, and there's a metaphor for crossing the log above a creek. I mean, I'm not going to let my kids cross a, a raging river where if they slip off the log, they're gone. But if there's six inches of moving water, I'm a raft guide and I'm familiar with what depth of current or water would actually sweep them away. And with just by looking at a creek or a river. So Mm -hmm. I'll let them go across the slippery log and fall two or three feet into six or 12 inches of moving water. But I'm not going to let them do that, you know, and so there's this there's this guidance and mentorship and an objective evaluation of the risk that's still going to happen or sorry like like i believe there's 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 two things with risk there's objective risk and uh what's it called a, a objective and um or perceived risk and actual risk that's how i yeah, yeah. okay so yeah. a lot of people have this perceived risk that what we do skiing through the trees with young kids on green terrain on beginner terrain is really, really risky. And like the speeds at which my two-year-old was going through those trees is quite slow. And the berms, the, the snow actually slopes away from, is it possible that they could hit a tree? Of course it is. They're wearing a helmet mm-hmm. and they've also been skiing a hundred days before they went into the trees. So they have the skill set that's appropriate to, to manage it. And the trails are quite flowy and bermy and almost direct you to where you need to go. Um, And so the the perception on my videos is that the risk is a lot higher than it actually is. Yeah. It's not like you picked them up and dropped them in backcountry before they ever put their feet in. Yeah. There's a progression of skills. Mm -hmm. There's a progression of skill set and a a level of expertise for me doing these outdoor adventure things as a ski patroller, a mountain professional, an outdoor, a whitewater raft guide, canoe guide. I, I have experience managing outdoor adventure hazards. Um, but I, I find it really fun that you don't need to be doing these epic, big Mac, these big adventures at a ski hill or mountain bike. Like you can go to the back nook or the ravine behind your subdivision or even a creek in a city somewhere. Like you can find the nooks and crannies, and I call those micro adventures and you can empower kids to, to experience risky play by just watching and observing and letting them go. Yeah, I love that micro adventures because if you don't have a, a, a location where you have like the big mountains or even the beach, it, there are plenty of spaces, even within cities, where people can find a space that their children are able to test their test, or push their boundaries yep. and test their strength. And you know, um, when my kids were younger, so my husband was a big skier and he was on skis at like three or four, and um, so it was not something that we ended up doing, though, unfortunately. There's a lot that, you know, after talking to you and watching what you were doing and you've been doing on social media, they're just like, oh, man, we missed some opportunities in that regard. But um, but we did a lot of hiking and um, went to, you know, places with lots of water and we're on skis, water skis and things like that. But um, 
I, I remember thinking how it's all a matter of what you yourself as the parent have been exposed to and what you have been able to, um, if you've been able to test your limits and your parents were able to support you in that, you know, it, you will repeat patterns if you're not bringing it to your conscious awareness mm-hmm. that, hey, you know what, I might have been treated this way, but I don't necessarily have to repeat those patterns with my own kids. Mm-hmm. Um, but then it's interesting, too, that we do allow our kids to do quite a bit of risky things if they've been done collectively. So like sports, for example, and sports are pretty risky, right? I mean, yep. kids can get injured massively. You know, there can be even death in sports, but because it's been done for generation after generation, it's become an accepted risk, yeah. you know? So when there's an adventure or an outing or something else that's brand new, there's more fear mm. behind it because wait a minute, I, I don't have evidence to support that this is an okay thing to do because, you know, 20,000 people haven't done it before that I can see or I can, you know, have evidence of. Um, but so I, I do love that you've talked about even taking just a small, just do it a little at a time. It doesn't have to be a big, huge, grand thing. Yeah, totally. So we went to, I was going to say, we went to Utah in October of 2020. And um, that was my first time there. And it was just an amazing experience and adventure for me. Um it looked like we were going to another planet, you know, cause I'm from, I'm from the South. I'm from North Carolina. Yeah. And so it's very different terrain and geography, very vast, um, very Brown and big and open. And, um, we went into this ravine and, um, we got, we parked the car and we walked almost like an hour in and, um, I got a little tired. I'll be honest with you. Cause it was hot that day. It got a little, we got a little over like overheated, but both mm-hmm. my kids were like, mom, we want to keep going. And I was like, okay. So I had a moment, <laughs> you know, they're at the time, what, um, 17 and 13. Um, and, uh, they were like, we've got the map. We know what we're doing. I was like, okay. And see, there was no cell service there either. So yeah. you know, we, we had no way of communicating with each other. Um, so I sat on a rock in complete silence, like not a soul around, I could hear birds. I could see animals scampering around around me. And, you know, I could hear them talking. And then all of a sudden they just disappeared. Yeah. And that was quite a moment for me to trust. Like you said, you just have to sit in that trust and that that a recognition that it's all about that energy that you put out. You know, if I had told them, oh, my God, don't do that. Okay, we'll be back at this, you know, try to come back in 20 minutes or just started throwing in all that anxiety yeah. that I might have had inside out externally, then it probably would have made the trip a little different for them or maybe made them too cautious to the point where they weren't trusting themselves anymore. That's a, that's a great, that's a great mama moment for you. Well, it was a big one. <laughs> it was. And I did, I just sat very quietly and I was like, okay, let me just see what I can do here. And I'm just going to sit and meditate on this little rock. And, um, you know, I know they're going to be okay. And this is a wonderful moment for them and they'll never forget it, you know? Yeah. Good for you. So, well, and I, I know we're getting close to our time and, um, but, but before we go, do you have any parting words for any families who do want to have a bit more adventure in their life, but just feel a little nervous? I think you've said so many wonderful things up to this point that I imagine people are going to take a lot of, uh, wisdom from, from what you've said and what you've experienced, but, um, would there be, you know, any parting words? I think um, start small. 
um, again, I think that the, the micro adventure is, is, is great. I mean, I get a few questions uh, that are repetitive from my followers and I've had the question pop up about if I have anxiety um, about, I like, basically I have some moms, they're, they're typically moms. I don't think I've had a dad ask me that specifically, but a mom wanting to let go, right. Wanting to let go of that fear, anxiety, or control because they, I think they cognitively or on some level understand the benefits of, of risky play and wanting mm -hmm. their kids to be empowered to take risks and try things. And I'm not a psychologist or counselor by any means to, to navigate and help people uh, work through their anxiety. But, uh, I think just starting small and being aware of, of what and how you're projecting onto your kids is, is really key. Um, you know, if it's your fears, they're your fears, not theirs. Mm -hmm. And that, you know, for a school and, and, um, uh, I think I've seen it floating around on, on the outdoor, uh, Instagram fa family type, uh, creators, there's, uh, things you can say instead of be careful. Yes. Right. Have you seen that list? I have it, but I can imagine it. You know, there, there's 20 things. So if a, if a child's climbing a tree and you, and you're nervous, what, what does really say, what, what, like, you know, having that kind of nagging energy of be careful, be careful, watch out. Mm -hmm. Right. Instead, you can ask questions like, how do you feel up there? Yeah. Um, what's, what's your plan? You know, what's your next move? Um, you know, let me know if you need help. Like, especially if this is like a, a, a three or four year old that's maybe getting off the ground and is starting to be a little bit higher, but they're, they're still within your arm's reach. Like you can, instead of saying, get down from there and discouraging them or saying, don't do that and creating this scarcity, you know, it's, it's what's your plan? How do you mm -hmm. feel? Let me know if I, let me know if I can help mm -hmm. you in any way. And you, you're just asking these leading questions, these open-ended questions to empower risky play. And I think if you're a family trying to wanting to adventure more or get outside more, go camping more, um, I mean, car camping is a great example. Like book that campsite. I mean, everywhere in the U.S. has amazing parks and state par national parks, state parks, BLM land. Like there's 12 different types of places you can go camping, all your red tape, different land <laughs> designations. But you know, book that campsite and make it happen and just know that you're going to be okay if you forgot the noodles or a blanket or a flashlight and you just like go and, and that, and you know, like, and not be afraid to make mistakes with packing or gear and, and like, you're going to make memories out of it just by, and you're going to realize that you're okay that you forgot half the, I don't oh, know, sure. you know, like, Obviously, you know, do your homework and not all campsites are created equally. And I'm not advocating for anyone to go into the wilderness unprepared. I'm just saying that if you're at a, at a, at a car camping campsite and, and you're not an avid outdoor family, um, you can give your kids quite an amazing um, outdoor experience yes. at a campground. And you have an out too um, in case things do go south and you weren't expecting yeah. it because then you can just hop back in your car and you can say, okay, we'll try that again another time. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So, and I, I think just, just being intentional with, with your lifestyle and, and what you want. I know, you know, for us, we never, we never went on those beach holidays because we chose to work flexible jobs and live in an area that we love that we didn't really feel we needed to vacate from. So I feel like you can design your life to have more, more outdoor or playtime as a family through certain uh, lifestyle and fine and personal finance decisions as well. Like it's, it's all, it's all by design to a large extent, right? We can design the life we want. 
Well, that is a high note to end on. I don't have much else to add as a wrap up, except to be sure to check out Eric's work and follow along on his fun family adventures on YouTube, on Instagram, or on TikTok. And if you want or need some unschooling or self-directed education guidance, or if you're curious about how to transition from school to homeschool, reach out. You can find me on social media at Let Em Go Barefoot, or you can find me at my website. As always, stay curious, stay connected, and stay aware. Until next time.